Welcome to our teaching today, where Christ's Word is the center of our world. We are about to listen to the undiluted Word of God from the throne of grace with Pastor Philip Ransom Bello. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your Word. I receive your Word today. The entrance of your Word will bring a light to me and to everyone who is hearing the sound of my voice in the name of Jesus. Thank you for revelation of Christ over and over in our hearts. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Are you ready for the word? I am ready. I'm excited about what I'm going to share. I'm talking about the circumcision of Christ today. The circumcision of Christ. The circumcision of Christ is a conversation that I'm glad to talk about because it speaks of who Christ is to us. Uh, an import from the Old Testament practice. But the reality of what we have right now in Christ based on what the Old Testament saints practiced before Jesus came. And when we talk about the circumcision, circumcision is a token or a sign of the covenant that God had with Abraham. So we're going to go over scriptures and we would see what circumcision really is or what it was to the children of Israel and what circumcision is to you and I today. And we'll begin from Colossians chapter 2 from verse 10. We're going to read from 10 to verse 13. So Colossians chapter 2 from verse 10, it says, And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. The Bible says Jesus is the head of all principality and power. You are complete in him. And the Bible says that uh, 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 your completeness in Christ is a function of who you are in Christ. It is a positional reality that you have in Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with how you feel. It has nothing to do with how you look. Uh, sometimes when you look at yourself, you look at someone else, you might feel a sense of uh, incompleteness, right? But if you know who you are in Christ, you must realize that you are complete in Christ Jesus. That's one of the identities of the believer. And I say that often because your completeness in Christ suggests that God has done everything in you that he needs to do so you whatever it is that you're looking for you already possess in your spirit because you are complete in Christ Jesus the Bible says you are complete in him and that him now is the head of all principality and power Jesus is the head of all principality and power not the devil the Bible says that we're seated far above principalities and powers Right, And all the negative influences, all the negative powers are under your feet, under the feet of Jesus and under your feet. Satan is not the head of principality and power. Jesus is the head of witches, the wizards and all of them. The Bible says, at the name of Jesus, every knee bows and every tongue confesses the lordship of Jesus. So he's the head of all principality and power. Glory to God. But our point of emphasis, going downwards, it says, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And that's where we get our topic from, the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith, of the operation of God. You know, your, your, your new birth experience was an operation. It was an operation by God to bring you into Christ, 
to identify you into the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. That was an operation of God that even the devil did not know how this was going to play out. And the princes of this world, the Bible says, if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But the operation of God was going on, and it was in that operation that the Bible speaks of the foolishness to saving mankind. That through the wisdom of men, none could ever attain salvation. The Jews seek a sign, the Greeks seek wisdom, right? But Jesus Christ is a stumbling block both to the Jews and foolishness to the Greek. And it's in the foolish operation of God by including you in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of God that we have come to the wisdom of salvation. So Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God today and we celebrate God for that. And the Bible says, who have raised him from the dead and you being dead in your sins and the, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So the Bible speaks of uncircumcision for the, uh, the, the individual as one who is still in his sins. So the, the significance of knowing the circumcision uh, the covenant between Abraham and God speaks of the state of the individual in his sins as being uncircumcision for we, uh, for, for those who are not believers today, in today's dispensation, under the dispensation of grace. It says, Hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that my sins are forgiven. I'm so glad that all my trespasses has been forgiven. If there is anything you celebrate God for in this season, celebrate God for the fact that your sins have been forgiven. Celebrate God for the fact that he doesn't remember. The Bible says, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy towards us. And as far as the east is from the west, so has he separated us from our transgression. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all thine iniquities and your sins have been forgiven that's something to rejoice about in this season praise god so circumcision was abraham's part of the covenant that god caught with abraham now i want you to know something circumcision is not something or let me put it this way uh, covenant is not something that a man you know is making with god it was god who made the covenant with abraham and the reason why God made the covenant with Abraham is because God made a promise to Abraham. And Abraham is going to ask questions like, how am I going to know that you would do what you said you would do? And then God said, okay, you men do covenants because you, you are not sure about your words. If, if you say yes, your yes can mean no. But I am God when I, my yes is yes, my no is no. But for your sakes... To speak the language of men, I'm going to come down to your level to do a covenant. Because God did not need to do a covenant. Uh, when he gave his promise to Abraham, his promise was enough. But for the sake of Abraham, God had to do a covenant uh, to consolidate on the promise he made to Abraham. So therefore God went into a covenant with Abraham. You know, I hear a lot of people say today, I entered into a covenant with God. You don't enter into covenant with God. No, no, no. Where it, it takes two people on, you know, same level to enter into covenants. Right now in the new creation, 
it wasn't you who entered into a covenant with God. It was Jesus and God who entered into a covenant. And we are byproducts of the covenant that God and Jesus entered into. And because Jesus didn't break his part of the covenant, God didn't break his part of the covenant, the promises concerning us must come to pass because it is a binding and a standing covenant. But if you look at the Mosaic covenant where he gave the children of Israel the law, he gave the children of Israel the law based on a um, bilateral covenant, meaning that they had to keep a portion of the covenant and God will have to do his part when they did their part. It was a conditional covenant. But the, co the covenant that we have in Christ Jesus is an unconditional covenant because it is between Jesus and Christ. And that's the blessedness of the dispensation that you and I are today. So let's keep reading. Look at Genesis chapter 17 from verse 9 to 14. It says, And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. So it was a generational thing. And God took covenant very seriously because he made a promise and he would fulfill his promise to Abraham. So all the generations of Abraham had to keep the promise. I mean, had to keep the covenant. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man shall among you shall be circumcised, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant. A token, there is a sign, the evidence of thy covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man, child in your generations, he that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, he is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must need be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. So he says, this covenant, the sign of it will be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And this uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. So God took circumcision, a very big deal for Abraham and his descendants because the covenant was going to be in their flesh. And this is so important for us to understand. Now, I want you to know that whenever we talk about anything in the Old Testament, there is a type and shadow of things that we see in the Old Testament for what we come to see in Christ Jesus in the New Testament. So when he says the covenant will be in their flesh, it also speaks about the fact that we were in the flesh. And we will come to explain what being in the flesh is as we proceed in the conversation. Let us see how God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 from verse 3 down to uh, 12, or as the case says, And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. This is what Abraham is saying. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Now, and behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. 
and he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven. So I want you to see something here. God told him that the what will come out of your bowels shall be your heir. And he didn't stop there, but he took Abraham. <laughs> God took Abraham toward the heaven and said to him, look at the stars. If thou be able to number them, he said to, to him, so shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of all of the Chaldees to give thee in this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, take me an heifer of three years old. Now this is the covenant that is about to happen here. Says, take me a heifer of three years old, and a she goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all this, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. What happened here? So God says, out of your bowels uh, is, is going to be your heir. And he didn't stop there. He says, come to the star. Look at the star and see if you can tell them or number them. And Abraham was like, the first one you haven't done. Now you want me to number the star. He says, how am I going to know that this is going to be? And God said, take a heifer. So because of the question God said, you know what, Abraham, so that I settle your doubts, I'm going to go into a covenant with you. My promise is enough, but I won't stop with my promise. I would make a covenant with you and we shall talk about this from the place of covenant. And that's where you see the covenant and the sign or the token of this covenant that God made with Abraham was the circumcision of their male children. And what happened here, you see Abraham dividing the animal and normally the two parties who are supposed to make the covenant will pass in between the animals saying, so shall our lives be. That is why they're walking through the divided animals because they would put pieces of the animals on a pathway to walk and make confessions as the covenant is going on. Uh, the two people are making a covenant and there's a referee who is there to witness the covenant that is made between two people. So whilst the two people are passing, they will say, you know, to each other, so shall our lives be like these animals cut apart into two if we do not keep the aspect or our part of the bargain. So God was going to make the covenant with Abraham and when he told him to make put the animals, when the evening came, he caused a deep sleep to fall upon Abraham. Why? When Abraham would wake up much later in the morning or much later, he would realize that God had passed through the animals and he had burnt the animals as he passed by and the covenant was sealed and done, meaning that Abraham did not play a part in the covenant. In fact, the covenant that God made with Abraham is different from the covenant that God made with Moses and the children of Israel much later in the generations to come. Because the covenant between God and Moses was a bilateral covenant. The people had to keep the law 
for God to do what he said he would do after they had kept the law. So it was a bilateral covenant. But the covenant between God and Abraham was a unilateral covenant in that Abraham did not play a part in the covenant. And God said, you know what? I'm just making this covenant for your own doubts. But the truth is, all this thing is on me right now. And it's a unilateral covenant. I am bound by my word. And God indeed was bound. That's why the Bible says that we're children of Abraham. We're not children of the law. We're not children of Moses. The covenant that we have is a type that he made with Abraham, uh, with Abraham, not the type that he made with Moses. So that's why scripture says that we are the children of Abraham because Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. What a blessing. I wanted to see how God dealt with Moses on the issue of the covenant. In Exodus chapter 4 from verse 21 to 26, and we're going to see something very interesting here. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, so God was sending Moses to Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thy hand, but I will harden his heart, that he shall not let the people go. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. And it came to pass, by the way in the inn, that the Lord met him, Moses, and sought to kill him. Oh, this is interesting. Now, how can God want to kill someone he just sent somewhere? God sent Moses to Egypt to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And then the Bible says later in the inn, God sought him to kill him. Um, I'm going to show you why this happened. Look at, look at, let's keep reading. It says, then Zipporah, which is his wife, Moses' wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son, that is Moses' son, and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go. God let Moses go. <laughs> this is interesting. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. Because of the circumcision. So the reason why God sought to kill Moses was because Moses did not circumcise his son. And you know, Moses got married to uh, a woman of color, got married to Zipporah, who was not of the Jewish race. And probably she did not believe in the circumcision that the Jews practiced. And because of that, God, who is bound to his word, would have to keep his word. But when the Bible says that he sought to kill him, you could still see the mercy of God in that God was... If God wants to kill someone, he would kill the person. So a lot of theologians believe that Moses was falling sick and getting to the point of death. And the moment Zipporah noticed that Moses was dying, she quickly took her son and cut the foreskin and threw at the feet of Moses. And that was how Moses was vindicated. And you could still see the mercy of God in the time played out from between when Moses was sick to the point where he could have died. And that was God's mercy at work. But because God is bound to his covenant. I mean, 
How did, didn't God know that Moses had a son who was not circumcised before he called Moses and sent Moses? But you could still see the mercy of God play out. And because God is a just God, you have to keep the part where he has instructed the Israelites or the Jews to keep. And that's the place of circumcision. Now let's see Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 10 to 19 is a long read from verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had beforehand ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in the time past, ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. So that's what I was trying to say to you, that the covenant the sign of the covenant was in their flesh. Now relating to we who are believers, the Bible says we in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called on circumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Meaning that the Jews who are the circumcision call we who are Gentiles the uncircumcision. But the Bible here says that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise. So we were not a part of the promise. We were not a part of the covenant, the commonwealth of Zion, the commonwealth of the assembly. We were not a part of that promise system that God had for the covenant people of Israel. So the Bible says that we were strangers having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, hallelujah, this is somewhere to rejoice. Ye who sometimes were afar off, made nigh by the blood of Christ. Oh, glory to God. This is a moment where I thank God for the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus has brought me into the commonwealth of the assembly of God, into the commonwealth of the household of God. The blood of Jesus has brought me in. I was a stranger before, you were a stranger before, but now you have been included. We thank God for inclusion. We thank God for adoption. We have been adopted as sons into the kingdom. Hallelujah. And this is possible by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and had broken down the middle wall of partition between us. What the Bible here says between us is talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. So the wall between the Jews who are of the circumcision and the Gentiles who were uncircumcised have been broken down right now. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of condemnations contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So the Jews and the Gentiles, as long as we all both put our faith in Christ, we have become one new man in Christ Jesus. And that's why the Bible says, if any man is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new. Praise God. Now it says, and that he might reconcile both, that is the Jews and the Gentiles, unto God in one body by the cross. Hallelujah. Having slain the enmity thereby. And came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Through Jesus we all have access. Glory to God. We all have access. Let me talk about access for a bit. You know, access is something that 
only the high priest in the Old Testament had to the holies of to the holy of holies. The Ark of the Covenant was in there, and the high priest would get in there once a year, and the bell had to be tied around his waist, right? And if anything happened and the man couldn't come out, nobody could go in to rescue him. So a rope that is attached to his the bell that is tied around his waist that is outside. If you don't hear the sound of the bell, you probably know something is going wrong. But as he's offering uh, the sacrifices, spilling the blood on the, on the mercy seat, you hear the, the sound of movement, which, you know, the bells will indicate. And because all of that doesn't happen again, they will have to pull him out of the rope. You see, so the access into God was a sacred thing. It was filled with the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God in that room that nobody could step into. And the Bible says that when Jesus died, when his flesh was torn, the veil was torn into two from from top to bottom. And right now, everybody has access to God. The enmity between God and man has been broken. And this is something to rejoice about, that we have boldness to come before our Father. We're not coming before a, 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 a God or a judge, you know, who is angry with us, but we're coming before a loving Father who has expressed his love to us within the confines of his justice. That even the love that he shed, something had to go, something had to give for that love to be expressed. And that is the dying of Jesus on the cross. And this is so important and powerful for you and I to know. Praise God. So we have access by one spirit unto the Father. Glory to God. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. I'm not a stranger anymore. Uh, I'm, I'm a fellow. I'm a fellow citizen in the household of God. Praise God. You know, when the Bible says fellow, fellow speaks of fellowship. It speaks of people who come together with similar function and similar calling or similar vocation. The doctors put together, it is a fellowship of doctors. Lawyers put together, it is a fellowship of lawyers. If you, if you didn't study law, you could not be in the fellowship of lawyers. The fellowship of engineers. If you didn't study engineering, you couldn't be in the fellowship of engineering. And the Bible says that we are all in one fellowship, meaning that we have one thing that makes each and every one of us alike, and that's the Holy Spirit. And that's the fact that the blood of Jesus died for everyone. And you know something? On that mercy seat, there is no height on the mercy seat. There are other dimensions on the mercy seat. There is length, there is breadth on the mercy seat. But there is no height, meaning that we all come equally on the mercy seat. And the same blood that washed my sins away is the same blood that washed the sin of the murderer, the sin of the rapist, the sin of the, um, um, the terrorist is the same blood. The moment the terrorist receives Jesus as his Lord and Savior, it is blotted his sins, out, no matter how many people he has killed. This is the crazy part of grace. This is what this is the extent to which God's love has gone. That the love of God has been provided to everybody and anyone who receives into the sea of forgetfulness, he has thrown all our sins and all our iniquities. And that's why it is not a good thing when you remember people because of what they've done in the past and you don't see who they are in Christ right now. Right? And and it's so powerful what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. 
So nobody has supremacy on the blood of Jesus over somebody else. We are all equal. The blood of Jesus saved us equally. Praise God, somebody. Hallelujah. Now, if you remember David and Goliath, when David was facing Goliath, David approached Goliath um, with the confidence of the fact that he was of the covenant. When David, in fact, let me show you in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 22. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Oh, hallelujah. I just hope, I believe that you're getting blessed today. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse, verse 22. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now it says, And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, and ran into the army, and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion. I want you to see how the Bible describes Goliath. It describes Goliath as the champion. The Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name out of the armies of the Philistine. And verse 24 says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. Verse 25, And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that is come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king, will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spoke to the men that stood by him saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? Now remember the Bible describes Goliath as the champion, the Philistine of Gath. Now see how David describes the man he spoke to the men who stood by saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and take it away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? So David saw Goliath correctly, knowing that he was uncircumcised. And if you're going to deal with your enemy, you must know what covenants they are under. And that's the wisdom God gave David. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall he be done to the man that killed him. And Eliab, Eliab, his elder brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was killed against David. And he said, Why camest, oh God bless King James English, amen. Why camest thou down hither? Wow. And with whom hast thou left those few sheep? In the wilderness, I know thy pride, and in the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. You know, when you talk in James English, it feels very spiritual. <laughs> Amen. Let me show you something else again. When David encountered Saul, verse 34, and David said to Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. Wow. Seeing he had defied the armies of the living God. Praise God. Now, let us see how David speaks to 
uh, Goliath. And in verse 40, it says, And he took his staff in his hand and, and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had even in a script. And his sling was in his hand. I want you to know that David was proficient in using the sling. The sling was a weapon that the Benjamites were very accustomed to using. And because the Benjamites were not in the forefront of conversations, uh, many enemies who were surrounding the Israelites did not really understand how the Benjamites worked. right? And sometimes when God is hiding you in obscurity, he's hiding you to prepare you for bigger battles that you will face. And never take the place of preparation for granted because in the place of preparation, opportunity is waiting ahead of you to manifest. But you must take the place of preparation seriously. In the times where David was preparing, he was at the backside of his father's house, tending after the father's flock. And when the lion came, the bear came, the Bible says that David slew both the lion and the bear. So in the place of preparation, there is something to kill. There is something to do. There is something powerful to achieve. You can't say, I'm not going to do anything just because it's not yet time. He was slain the, the lions and he was slain the bear. So in the place of preparation, achieve something in your preparation, getting ready for the bigger stage. And when David was, was set, he knew how to use his sling proficiently. It was a weapon that God hid from the Philistines because the Philistines would understand sword, arrows, and, and fighting with spears and all of that. But when he saw the sling and the stone, he didn't understand the operation of God. And this, in, 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 you know, if you look at it in retrospect, you see the operation of God, how Satan did not know how God was going to bring about the salvation of man. That through the foolishness of the cross, Oh, hallelujah. The foolishness of Jesus dying. That's how we see salvation coming. Because the Bible says that God had hid this operation from time past. And that revelation was now going to be made known. If you see Colossians, it said this thing was hid from many generations. But Christ in you, the hope of glory right now. Praise God. So God brings about the revelation in Christ. So that's what happened with David. You know, slaying Goliath with a sling and a stone. And Saul armed David with his armor and put an helmet of brass upon his head. This is verse 38. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David gathered the sword upon his armor and, his, and he assayed to go. For he had not proved it. Right? Where are we now? Okay. Um, let us move to verse verse 43, and the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Now see something here. <laughs> this is a conversation of covenants. This is a conversation of gods. So when David heard Goliath cursing him by his gods, he knew that Goliath was in trouble. He was finished. Because there is no other God beside the real God, Jehovah Almighty. And see what David said to him, right? Um, verse 44, let's keep reading. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give thy flesh unto the fowl of the air and to the beast of the, of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with 
a sword and a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. You see capital letter L-O-R-D. With the, the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. Oh my goodness. Look, when the Israelites were going into battle, you, you weren't just seeing them in battle because they were in covenant with God. The trees will fight you. The sand and the storm will fight you. There was a, if you watch all these movies and you see powers that back up people who are fighting, especially epic movies and, and all of that kind of stuff, you know, it, it, that's the way God was fighting for and with the Israelites. That the elements of the world, the elements of the earth will rise to fight their enemies. That while you see one person, you know, probably piercing a sword, you know, uh, into the enemy. And that same sword is going into three, four other people. It's like action movie. And you see the sun rising against them. You see the wind in their favor. You see the sun in their favor. The sun will stand still in their favor you see earthquakes in their favor it is because god jehovah is with the children of israel and it's a battle of covenants it's a battle between gods if you look at the conversation between moses and pharaoh it was a battle between gods when moses was performing all the miracles the the, the miracles right of those but the, the flies the frogs turning water into blood those were the he was challenging the gods of Egypt. If you've ever heard about the gods of Egypt, he was challenging the gods of Egypt, right? So it was a battle between gods. And David said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. And of course, you know the story. The victory was for, for David and for the children of Israel because God was with him. It was a matter of covenant, covenant. And I want you to know that because you are in covenant with God through Jesus Christ, all the promises of God in Christ Jesus, they are yes and amen for you. I don't know about you, but I believe in the promises of God. I believe in everything that he has told me because his covenant cannot be broken. And that covenant is between him and his son. And because it is a binding covenant, and because I'm a child of Abraham, not in the flesh, but in the spirit, I am bound to experience all the promises of Jesus Christ. Praise God. And wherever you are, I want you to know that it is your season right now to come into the promises of God and into all the things that he has said about you. Don't give up on the seasons. Don't give up on the times. Don't give up on those words. Don't give up on those things that your heart has believed over time. I want you to know that you will come into those things. It's just a matter of time. Get ready. You know, pause your chariots. Roll back your sleeves and, you know, pull out your ten pegs because God is about to raise something out of you that will bless the nations of the world. Why? Because covenant is speaking. You, you are a child of covenant. You are a woman of covenant. You are a son of covenant. You are a man of covenant. Glory to God. Hallelujah, somebody. And, you know, um, I want to show you something also in, in, um, in Joshua. You see what happened when the children of Israel had left the wilderness and came to the promised land. You will see how God instructed Joshua. So let's see Joshua chapter 5 from verse 1 and we're going to read all the way to verse 9. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters <laughs> of Jordan from before the children of Israel until 
we were passed over, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. I told you how God will fight for his people. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, make these sharp knives and see what he's about to do. And circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Now when God says to Joshua, circumcise the children of Israel the second, second time, he's not saying cut the same people again. Because all the people who were circumcised uh, in, in the time of uh, Moses had died in the wilderness. And the children that were born in the wilderness had come into the promised land uncircumcised and if God is going to begin anything with them he had to make sure that they were circumcised so he says the second time and Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the heel of the foreskins and this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise and all the people that came out of Egypt that were males even all the men of war died in the wilderness by the way after they came out of Egypt now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, then they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord swore that he would not shew them the land, which the Lord swore unto their fathers that he would give us land that floweth with milk and honey and their children whom he raised up in their stead then Joshua circumcised for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way and it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole and the Lord said unto Joshua this day, oh hallelujah, oh hallelujah, this is where we're going. The Lord, after he has circumcised the people, the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal until, until this day. Now, what is the meaning of this where the Bible says, God telling Joshua, this day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt. Now, if you remember that this people had left Egypt a long time ago, over 40 years ago. So, was it that while they were in the wilderness, the reproach of Egypt was not rolled away? They had come into the promised land and it was when they got there, he said, this day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. But they left Egypt many years ago, you know. So I want you to see right now that um, this thing means that the reproach being rolled away, Egypt was still in them even after they left. And what God is saying to them is that I'm taking Egypt out of you. Yes, you left Egypt, but I'm taking Egypt out of you. And what is the importance of this for the new creation? Now, remember, we were in our sins. But God is not just dealing with the sin uh, uh, action, but he's dealing with the sin problem. So he's taking the old man, the old man out of us that is now dead in Christ. So when he says, I have, I have rolled the reproach away, I am taking Egypt out of you, even though you have left Egypt. 
Now you see, and this is the difference between someone who is good and does what is good. The fact that you are good doesn't mean that you are saved. If you are good, it could also be that you have the old man who is good. The old man who is doing good things. And what guarantees heaven is not good things that you do. It's the fact that there is a new man in you which your actions can't deal with. And it's only the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ that can go deep into your spirit or your soul and deal with the old man. So when God says, I am taking Egypt out of you, he's saying that I am dealing with the old man. The old man is crucified and I am rescuing you from the power of sin. And I want you to celebrate right now because the power of sin has been dealt with. The old man has been crucified in Christ Jesus. And because of that, the sin problem has been dealt with. Sin actions have been dealt with. We are no longer slaves to sin anymore. Praise God. And this is the importance that we share in the new covenant if we uh, draw inference from what God was talking to Joshua about. Second thing I want you to know uh, is that uh, when he said I will roll the reproach of Egypt away from you, uh, a lot of theologians believe that the reproach of Egypt was on them. That's the reason why they were hovering or they were wandering in the wilderness and could never come to the promised land because there was a curse from Egypt that was following them in the wilderness and they could never achieve their promise. And can I say to you in the name of Jesus that whatever it is that you hover around, whatever it is that you are supposed to come into, that you haven't come into, God said to Joshua, this day have I rolled a reproach away from Israel. And I want you to know that right now the reproach has been rolled away. The reproach has been rolled away. It means the delays are gone. The, the seeming obstacles that stand in your way that stops you from achieving your promise has been dealt with right now. When we speak to every obstacle, we speak to every barrier, we speak to every mountain that stands between you and your promise. In the name of Jesus, because you're a covenant child, you're coming into the fullness of the promise. All unnecessary delays are gone. Wherever you are, if you know that there are certain things you're meant to be enjoying and experiencing right now that has not yet come, I tell you in the name of the Lord, in the next few days, you're going to be celebrating your testimony. You're going to be thanking God for the fulfillment of promises that has come to you right now by the power of the name of Jesus. And I declare it so in the name of Jesus that you have come into the fulfillment of your promises. You have come into the fulfillment of everything that God has said about you. So no more delays. Wherever you are, say with me, no more delays. Oh yes, no more delays. The delays are over. The delays are gone. The reproach has been rolled away. Praise God somebody. Praise God somebody. Praise God somebody. And I want you to know something. That Christ is not just the qualification uh, of the promise. But he is the reality of the promise. He's not just the qualification of the promise. But he is the reality of the promise. The reality the evidence, the token, the sign of the covenant was circumcision for Abraham and the Jews. But for we who are Gentiles, the sign, the evidence of our circumcision in Christ and in the spirit is Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? It means that Jesus is the sign of the promises. He's the sign of the covenant. 
He's the sign. So the, the, my, my feelings are not my sign. What I think is not my sign. What I experience is not my sign. My experience is not my sign. But Jesus Christ is the sign. As long as I see Jesus, I have the sign. And what is the sign? It is the proof. And no wonder the Bible says that Jesus is the beginning and the end of your faith. He's the beginning and the end of your faith. He's the proof of your faith. His faith come to pass. That's who Jesus is. So he's a sign. You don't follow your feelings in this season. Don't follow what you think in this season. But look at Jesus. Is Jesus there? Is Jesus the reality of my sign? Is Jesus the reality of God's word in my life? If you know Jesus is, then you know you have your sign. He is the sign. He's my sign. He's your sign. Praise God, somebody. Hallelujah. So, you know, sometimes things might go from bad to worse, but doesn't change the fact that there is the evidence. Even when we experience things going from worse to worse and worse, it doesn't change the fact that the sign is there. The Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. And I want to speak to everyone who is here right now that Jesus is the sign of the covenant for us today who are in Christ. I'm just going to read one more scripture that will bless you. Hallelujah. One more scripture that will bless you. One more scripture that will bless you. Zephaniah chapter 3 from verse 17 through 19. Zephaniah chapter 3 from verse 17 through 19. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save and he will rejoice over thee with joy. Hallelujah. He will rest in his love he will joy over thee with singing. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly who are of thee to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Behold, at the time I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth, and gather her that was driven out, and I will give them praise and fame, and in every land where they have been, Put to shame. He says, I'm going to give you fame in every land that you have been put to shame. When God said to Joshua, this day have I rolled the reproach from Egypt. He's also saying, I have taken shame away from the Israelites. The Jewish people no longer will be in shame. And I, I, I come here to speak to you today that whatever you have been ashamed of, whatever identity or status that is of shame and reproach to you, in the name of Jesus, it is gone. It is gone. It is gone. People recognize you because of what you did before, what you experienced before. You know, sometimes when people want to describe people, they describe them by their circumstance. Oh, that lady, I don't remember her name, but that woman, way, that lady, that, and they, they use a bad circumstance. So that guy, that, that guy who is always asking for money, what's his name? That guy who is always wearing one trouser, that guy who, you know, <clears throat> Amen. That guy who, you know, and your circumstance has been the object of your description. I come to hear, I come to let you know today that from now henceforth, what God will do for you will override everything that anybody knows about you. It's just a matter of time. And you will come to see that glory. People will come to see the glory. The Bible says that behold, darkness will cover the earth, gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon you. And his glory shall be seen upon you. His glory shall be seen over your life. What does that mean? It means that people will see the glory of God on your life. 
It won't just be a hidden glory, but it will be a visible glory. And what is that saying to you? Welcome to the season of glory. Welcome to the season where shame has been exchanged for glory. Welcome to the season where depression has been exchanged for praise. Welcome to the season where pain has been exchanged for power. Where your grief has been exchanged for glory. Where your story has become glory. Hallelujah. So get ready. It is your season. Shame. The reproach has been rolled away. The stone has been rolled away. The reproach has been rolled away. What people know you. Oh, that guy who messed up. That lady who messed up her life. Look, if, look, if any man is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. And I want you to know that you have stepped into glory and you have stepped into power. So welcome to your season. Jesus Christ is our circumcision. He's my circumcision. We are of the circumcision of the spirit who worship God, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And we have no confidence in the flesh. We are of the circumcision. He's my circumcision. He's everything to me. He's the reason why I live. He's the reason why I breathe. He's the evidence of the promise. He's the evidence of the token. I mean, he's the evidence of the covenant. The Bible also says that Jesus is the reason why we say amen. All the promises of God in Christ, they are yes in Christ. And we say amen. We say yes to the promises of God. Hallelujah, somebody. So if you have Jesus in your heart, you have everything. And if you don't have Jesus and you're listening to me right now, what I want you to do is to accept him right now and you have become a part of a covenant that God has made with his household today, his new man today, the new creation in Christ. And wherever you are, if you're not, you haven't received Jesus Christ, I want you to say this prayer with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you today knowing that I'm a sinner and therefore I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe that he died for me on the cross of Calvary. I believe that he rose on the third day. I believe that my life is right now hid in Christ Jesus. I believe that uh, all things have passed away and all things have become new. Jesus, I acknowledge you as Lord and Savior over my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And if you pray that prayer with me, I want you to know that you are saved right now. And for those of you who have heard me today, knowing that Jesus Christ is our circumcision, I want you to know that everything that he has promised in the covenant belongs to you. When Jesus was about to die, he lifted up the cup and he was having conversation with the, uh, the disciples. And he said to them, this is the cup of the New Testament in my blood. This is the cup of the new covenant. The word testament there means covenant. Says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. So right now is a new covenant. He spilled his blood so you can enjoy everything that God has arranged with him. And he is leaving right now to make intercession for you and I with, with the Father. And what that means is everything that he died for, you stand to enjoy. And because he's alive, you're going to enjoy it. Because all the promises of God in Christ Jesus, they are yes and they are amen. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. And for more information about the Standpoint Church, visit our social media platform on www.facebook.com slash standpointabj, twitter.com slash standpointabj, instagram.com slash standpointabj, and on soundcloud.com slash standpointabj. 